All right, so if you would open your Bibles, um, there are Bibles behind the pews. If you um, didn't bring one today, but we are in Ephesians um, 6, verse 10 through um, 19. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you have which with which you can extinguish all the flames, the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thank you. So I know that um, a small number of, uh, you can bring that down a bit, uh, people here um, or who have been here before have been on the battlefield or have had experience being a soldier. When I was a little kid, I naively thought that, man, I would make such a great soldier. I belong out there. I could succeed. I'd win every fight that I was in to be such a great thing. Now I grew up a little bit. I learned a little bit more about war. I learned a little bit more about myself. I noticed how tall I am, how thin I am. Maybe this isn't such a good idea after all. And I wonder if you've ever had any of those similar thoughts. Do you think that you would make a good soldier Would you thrive on the battlefield? And in one way, I want you to see that this is not actually a theoretical question. Did you know the Bible teaches that you right now are in the middle of a battle? You're on a battleground right now where you sit and when you work and when you go home and when you sleep. That's just the world we live in. And we need to remember that that's what God's word says. And if that's the case that we're in a war and we're in a battlefield, we had better know what kind of war we're in and we got to know who we're fighting against. To miss these crucial truths is dangerous. So God's word actually explains the answers to these questions. His word shows us what kind of battle we're in His word shows us who we're fighting against. And his word shows us how to fight. That's what this passage is about. 
And before we dive into it and see what it's teaching us, I just want to do a little bit of work of setting the context of where we were so that we can understand where we are. So if we take a look at verse 10, we see that Paul ends with the word, finally. Notice that there's a change in the metaphor. In chapters 2, 4, and 5, Paul uses the word walk. Christians are supposed to walk in a certain way. You're supposed to live in a certain way. And what that means to walk like Jesus is to daily become more like him and to love more like he loves. Now Paul changes the metaphor he uses to stand. Three times in this section, he commands us to stand. And that's because every inch of progress that we make as Christians towards becoming more like Jesus will be contested. There are no freebies. There's no free pass. None of us here has an easy ride. If you're going to become like your Savior, you're going to have to fight. And it is not a cakewalk. And so here's my main point today. And it's not as gentle or fun as I wish it was. But it's the truth we need to hear. If you are going to survive... You have to fight. Now the first point of my outline is we must be aware. We must be aware of the war and we must be aware of our opponent. So please listen to verses 10 through 12 as I read them. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if we pay attention to the Bible and what it says about us and the world, it teaches that everywhere we go, everywhere we look, everywhere we are, There are spiritual forces exerting a spiritual influence on everything that happens. I wasn't raised to think of the world this way. It's not my instinct to think of the world this way. And so as a result, I'm often blind to the conflict and the battle that's raging all around me. I'm not able to fight my opponent. I'm not able to fight for the people I love. And so it's an awareness issue. And so if we don't fight against our lack of awareness, we're not going to be able to fight against our opponent. So being aware of the spiritual world we live in is not an option, it's a necessity. Paul uses the metaphor of local rulers or kings to describe the spiritual forces that we fight against. He says, you know how kind of like how a king reigns over an area and kind of has jurisdiction and he's there and he exercises his influence and authority? 
That's exactly what the spiritual forces are like that we face and come into conflict with in our lives. So when a church plant or a church moves into a new area, Jesus' reign extends into that new area and comes into conflict with the spiritual forces that are already there. And so if you think you're going to be a part of a church plant and it's not going to get messy or ugly at some point, that's not the case. If there are forces there who are used to dominating and oppressing people and you come in to change that and challenge your power and authority, get ready. Get ready for what's coming at you. And so to miss that we have personal and spiritual opponents is to miss that we are in a fight. And just so you know, if you take a look at your your Bibles, and it says we have a struggle, that word struggle actually indicates something like hand-to-hand combat. This is close up. It's intimate, it's personal, and it involves every one of you. Whether or not you know Jesus yet, it involves every single one of us. Okay, so now we have to ask, who is it that we're actually fighting against? Let's take a look at verse 12 one more time. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So Paul uses all these different terms to say this is who you're fighting against. And I might think, man, are these all different categories of opponents that I have? I don't think it works that way. I think he's stacking them up, repeating himself again and again in different words to give a rhetorical effect. You really have real enemies. That's where he's going with this. If he would just said it once, there's not much emphasis. If he says it four times, there's a lot of emphasis. Do you feel his emphasis when he says all those things in verse 12? And he also mentions the devil, who is the first rebel, the first opponent of God, who all these other forces image and follow, who is our most dangerous enemy. So whether the influence that you are facing is the influence of the devil or his servants, it can be either one, you are facing real spiritual opposition every single day. And we are in the midst of a dangerous fight. I want to answer an objection that could come up in some of our minds. You could think, man, is Ross finding spiritual influences in places they are not. In other words, are we at danger of wrongly identifying that our biology or our psychology or our society are actually problems that those things create are actually spiritual problems when they're not spiritual problems? You see that danger, how we could go too far? And there have been brothers and sisters who have made the mistake of saying, this is a spiritual cause only when it's also a natural cause. That would be where my mind would go right now if I just heard what I said to you and I was responding to that. 
Yet I want to consider some common problems that we face. Is there clearly not a spiritual and a natural component in drug and alcohol addiction? Would we say it's all natural? When there's clearly such a spiritual power that's exerted in how bitter and, and, and powerful those addictions can be? What about anxiety and depression? Of course the chemicals in our minds, of course the environment we were raised in have an effect. But there's also just something that we can't seem to explain, some other power at work in these things. What about broken families, broken communities, and broken neighborhoods? Would we presume to say, oh, we know exactly what's causing something so complicated of a breakdown? Man, there is more at work than our eyes can see. And my point isn't to say, let's ignore psychology, let's ignore society, let's ignore our own sinful flesh. I think those things are relevant things we have to consider too. But if we don't also recognize that there's a spiritual dimension and spiritual actors in that dimension, we're not going to be effective like the Lord wants us to be. And what's so encouraging is that this is actually the biblical worldview. The Bible does not have an either-or mentality. It is not that our it is our society or it is demonic. It is not that it is our flesh or it is demonic. It is not that it is our biology or it is demonic. It is that that demonic forces actually take our flesh, take our biology, take our culture, and work through those things to harm us. Whether they cause them or work through them, they have an agenda, and we have to be aware of that agenda. I'm going to read Revelation 2.10 to show you what I mean. It says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Now, did the devil show up and throw these believers in prison himself? He didn't. People did that. But John can say in the book of Revelation that the devil did it because those people were carrying out the devil's will because they didn't know what was influencing them. And they were carrying out his plans to stop the people of God from living like the people of God. So I don't want us to just go around and say, everything is just a spiritual problem. But I want us to say everything is a spiritual problem in addition to also being caused by other things. And we see a world that is both natural and spiritual and we are aware of and engaged in both. So where does this all lead us? That Satan and his servants are at war with us. Where it leads us is that we must fight. If we do not know we're in a fight, we will not fight, and that is dangerous. Do you remember Pearl Harbor? It's a devastating day for the United States Navy. Dozens of ships were blown up and sank. Lots of good men and women lost their lives. And I want to ask you, why was that day so devastating for the United States Navy? Was it not because Japan was at war with us and we did not know it? 
you see the danger of being in a war you are not, you don't know you're in? So, the word of God will now be our answer, which will show us how we engage in this fight. That God has graciously informed us that we are in. So that's the first section, be aware. And now let's move to the next section, how to fight. You know you're in a fight, you're ready to fight. Okay, how do I fight something I can't see? How do I fight something that's like air? God calls them the power of the spirit of the air in chapter 2. How do I fight something that influences me and I can't even see it? I can't even touch it. What am I going to do? Especially since the Lord has called me to fight. And before I do that, I want to briefly answer a question. What is success? Okay, what? So if we look at, this ver- at these verses, let's br- bring up verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So Paul says, you fight and you win when you stand firm. That's victory. You might say, Ross, what, what does it mean to stand firm? And I say to you, look at the verse. Paul says, having done all to stand firm. The phrase, having done all, helps explain what it means to stand firm. So here's the way I'm understanding this phrase. To stand firm is for you to continue to do all that God has called you to do with your life. Especially when you face intense spiritual opposition. It's one thing to do it when things are going well. And I love it during those times. It's another thing to hold your ground when it feels like you're in hell. Which is what happens to us from time to time. And it's not so important that we hold our ground when things are going well. As when things do not go well and our enemies come against us. Those are the times likely when we can be the most fruitful. Is when the opposition is the fiercest. And that's why why Paul mentions the evil day, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. That's the day when the opposition is fiercest. What are these good works that God has called us to? We look back through the last few chapters we've heard preached. They're loving your brothers and sisters well. Can you love your brother and sister well when you are in the depths of despair? Do you fight to do that when you feel like caving in? You speak in a way that builds others up to become like Jesus. When you feel crushed. When it is hard. Do you refuse to participate in the evil that is happening around you? 
when the influence is so strong, that is standing firm. Do you love your wife and your children after a long, hard day of work? Or children, do you respect your parents? Do you go to work and work as if Christ was your boss? Even when he's persecuting you for your Christian faith. And like we will see soon, another way of standing firm is continuing to faithfully and lovingly and affectionately share the gospel of Jesus with unbelievers in the face of severe opposition. So you stand firm when Satan comes against you and he usually comes against you in a subtle way, some way to unravel you, some way to keep you from living fruitfully. You know what I'm talking about. When the thing that happens to you happens to you that just totally takes you out of the game. And when that's happening to you, instead of buckling and giving in, you don't give an inch. You continue to live fruitfully. When Satan disturbs your thoughts, when he attacks your emotions and your heart, do you shrivel up and stop loving God and others, a God and others-oriented life Or do you keep pressing forward and standing your ground? Okay, I want to talk about how to do that. How can we keep doing what God has called us to do in the good times and in the evil day? Let's take a look at verses 14 to 17. Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says it again, to stand. You say, how do I do it, Paul? How do I stand? He says, by fastening on the belt of truth. By putting on the breastplate of righteousness. By putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. By taking up the shield of faith. By taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. These pieces of armor are the means or the method that God has given us to fight. You know, our enemies are much stronger than us. Did you know that? Do you know they're much more intelligent than us? Do you know that they've been at this a much longer time than we have? And they hate us. And they will win if we fight on our own. There's not a single one of us in here who can stand against what you're up against. So you need another method besides your own strength to fight. That's what this is about. Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Are you fighting with your own method? Or are you fighting with God's method? 
Our hope is that our God is stronger still than our enemies. So let us fight by his means and in his way. So how do we access God's strength? How do we put on his armor? And I want to point that out. I really wish I had time to walk through the armor and say, this is what this is for, this is how this works, but we just don't have time to do that. So you can tune into our podcast if you want to hear that. But I, I discovered something when I was reading and studying that I thought was so crucial. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah describes God as wearing this very same armor. And now it's on us. So this armor that God's talking about is the very armor that comes from him. To fight spiritual warfare is to receive and experience the power God has already made available to you. To fight spiritual warfare is to receive and experience the power God has already made available to you. Okay, how do I receive the strength that God has already made available to me? How do I put on his armor? So we need to use, friends, our Bibles. We need to use the sword of the Spirit to learn about what truth is. To have the belt of truth. What righteousness is. To have the breastplate of righteousness. What the gospel is, what faith is, and so forth. Because this is the only place where we can learn about these things. This is the only place where God says, this is where you will gain these qualities. These pieces of armor are about renewing our thoughts and our minds. Just to be clear, When Satan comes against us, he tends not to attack us physically. It can happen. It it has happened. It happened to Job. It tends to be at the level of thought and belief and feeling. His name means the accuser. His other name means the deceiver. It's giving us a clue how he's working to destroy us. False beliefs about yourself and about God are what Satan is all about. If he can get you to believe something false about yourself, something about God, that's what brings spiritual ruin and destroys our fruitfulness. If you are listening to anything more deeply than the word of God for spiritual truth, to tell you who you are and who God is, you are in a very dangerous situation. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. Are we listening to the word of God to carefully understand what he has said about who he is and about who we are? Or is our own lying flesh 
our fallen world or our enemies whispering in our ears, telling us to believe things that are destroying us. This book is the only place God has given us where we can come to know infallible truth about who he is and who we are. There's a place in this book that says this book is your life. This bo- these words are no empty words to you. They're your life. Do you feel like you have nowhere else to go to find out who God is and who you are? Our emotions will betray us. Our minds will betray us. Our cultures will betray us. The Bible will not betray us. I wonder for us as Western Christians if reading the Bible is more of an intellectual exercise than a matter of spiritual survival. I try to cultivate this attitude of desperation in my heart when I wake up and study the Bible because that's just not the way I'm wired. I'm not going to wake up and say, God, help me to see who you are and who I am today. Man, we got to fight for that attitude if we're going to wear the armor of God. You don't get the helmet of salvation. You don't get the breastplate of righteousness. You don't get the belt of truth without pursuing it. The Lord Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He doesn't give us his good gifts unless we pursue them. Let us pursue his good gifts for our life in his word. And friends, this is where we have to turn when our thoughts turn against us. When we start to believe things like God doesn't love me. Here's an insidious one that so many of us slip back into. I know Jesus died for me, but I really still have to earn it. My performance. Or on the other hand, I don't need God. Or I don't belong in this community. Like where do these thoughts come from? And when we face them, where will we turn to destroy them? God's given us an offensive weapon. It's called the sword of the Spirit. So let us wield it in our fight. All successful spiritual warfare by God's people starts and ends with the word of God and prayer. If our fight is really spiritual, if we're fighting against things we can't see, things we can't touch, we have to use spiritual means of fighting. And if we're not using the word of God in prayer to fight against our spiritual enemies, then we're not fighting. We have to pray for for ourselves and read in the word that we would have the different, different qualities symbolized by the armor of God. And we have to pray for others and share the word with others that they would give, receive the same victory as us. There's a, a period in my life where I had some very terrifying dreams. I would wake up in the middle of the night, out of my bed. There's usually a roommate of mine with me because I was screaming. 
And what I was muttering was, I swear it was real this time. And this kept happening. And I'm telling you, it wasn't until two faithful women of God sat down with me and we prayed together that God broke this pattern in my life. And here's a burden I have for you today. I wonder how many of you are fighting spiritual battles with natural means. Are any of you looking to your own resourcefulness, your own flesh, your own intelligence to fight a spiritual battle? Because there won't be deliverance there. There's just being stuck in the same place until we turn to God who will help us. So how is it that the Bible and prayer is so powerful at defeating our enemies? Why is it that these ways God gave us to fight have such a powerful effect on our foes? And the reason is, is that if we are just going to resist our enemies and we have powerful ways to do it, we might succeed at defeating them, right? Like, it could be a defeat, a win for us, it could be a win for them. But what the Bible actually teaches is that our enemies have already received a mortal blow. Do you know that? Every single enemy you're facing already has a death wound. And if that's the case, then your victory isn't only a probability, it isn't only possible. It's assured if you fight in the way Christ has called you to fight. Man, I know I just spent so much time talking up how dangerous our enemies are. But we shouldn't be downtrodden, fearful people. We should be confident people. Because as bad as they are, they're already dead in the water. They're dead men walking. What wound did our enemies receive? So when Jesus was born in the, into this world... One reason he came was to defeat your enemies, your spiritual enemies, including death itself and the devil. And he accomplished it stunningly. How did Jesus win a battle when he came here for us? How did he win the fight? Satan thought that he would crucify Jesus and that that would stop him. John 13, 37 says, Satan entered into Judas to make him betray Jesus to the Roman authorities. And the Roman authorities did what Satan wanted them to do. They crucified Jesus. Now that sounds like a defeat. Here's the irony. Jesus' death on the cross was actually mine and your victory. Jesus' death on the cross was actually his victory over Satan and over all the icky, sick things that we face day in and day out. By his own death, he defeated the death we face. His victory was the defeat of Satan. 
And it was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis where God promised that his chosen Messiah would crush the head of the serpent and be wounded in the process. He had to be wounded in order to be there for you and me and to deliver us. Those wounds weren't wounds of defeat. They were wounds of deliverance for the hardest, most painful things that we are walking through. Why was this the defeat of the devil? The devil probably thought that Jesus was coming to be king. That Jesus wanted to come up and set up a sovereign kingdom for himself. And the devil thought, man, if I can just kill him, I'm going to stop his plan. He missed that Jesus didn't come to be sovereign. Jesus came to be a substitute. Do you know what that word means? It means he came to step into something he didn't deserve in the place of people who did deserve it so that we don't have to experience it. Everything Satan can use to condemn you before God, every sin that could send you to hell, Jesus took that already. Satan's disarmed. His weapons are useless. And it's all because of the cross and the victory that Jesus won. Listen to these verses from John 12, 31 through 33. Jesus says about his death, his death is the judgment of this world, his enemies. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was about to die. Isn't it comforting to know that in your deepest, darkest, most horrible struggles, Jesus has given your life so that you can succeed? He's given his life so that you can succeed? And, and I just, a burden I have is that us understanding that would give us so much more confidence and encouragement to keep fighting when things are hardest. Like you're never at a point where you don't have the resources to keep going and to have victory. I want us to fight harder and I want us to stand firmer than we've ever fought or stood before. And I know every one of you can because I know Christ died for you if you're trusting in him. And I have a quick word for unbelievers who are here visiting us today. We're, we're so thankful that you're here with us. We, we love, we love your, your company. And I'm sorry to say this. I don't, I don't mean to, to sound too mean or rude. But um, until, until we follow Jesus, until he becomes our new Lord, the dark spiritual enemies that we have, are actually your Lord. Whether we recognize it or not, apart from Christ, we end up doing their will. You say, well, how, how do I do their will? Well, until, until Jesus becomes your Lord, you're living like a whole bunch of things are important, except for him. That's their agenda. Get God out of the picture. 
and your life is a picture that says that. But the good news is that Jesus says, you don't have to live like that. The good news is, Jesus says, if you come to me, I will set you free, and I will be your new Lord, and I will make you a new person, and I will heal your wounds. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus says, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. I wonder if there's some people here today who aren't free yet and need to be free indeed. Right now, nothing required of you. Jesus did it all. Only repentance and faith, only turning from your old way of life and hoping in him, righteousness in your place, him as your substitute, sets you free from your old masters to serve a new master who's for your good and for your blessing and for your life. Isn't that the sweetest thing? I mean, I would be so happy to talk with you about this. But you don't have to talk to a pastor about this. This room's filled with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure some of them have introduced themselves to you. So please, please ask questions. And, and you can challenge what, what we said and what I said. We are happy to just hear where you're at and what you're going through. And we love you. Now, what would it look like as a body of Christ, as a corporate body, if we were engaged in spiritual warfare together? What would change? And one thing, one difference I would want to see is that we would no longer just trust in ourselves or our pastors to teach us the most important things about God. But we would do that with and to one another. And we would remind one another of the things that are most important about your identity and about who God is. You should hear it ten more times from other people before you hear it from Sam or I or any of the other guys. The whole point of a community is that we can speak the truth to one another in love. It, it is powerful. Some of the most powerful moments in my Christian walk have been sermons that have struck my heart. But there's something about hearing it from another person who you're just sitting with and talking to that's a game changer. And sometimes I can't get that when I'm alone with God. I get a lot of good things when I'm alone with God, but sometimes I need a friend to tell me, Ross, you're wrong, and this is the truth. And there are people sitting around you right now who need you to say that to them. And the fact that I said it today isn't going to make a difference. But the, when you say it, that's what the Lord's going to use. We are all priests in God's kingdom. We all have the Holy Spirit. So let us use the word of God like we have the Holy Spirit to free one another from spiritual bondage. Friends, after Jesus suffered the miseries of the cross and died, you know what happened? He rose again. He came out of that standing. Jesus was standing after the cross. And he's still standing today 
and he is never going to get knocked down again, ever. And he invites us to stand with him. When you're standing, friends, when you're standing, you might feel alone, but Jesus is right there standing with you. And my call today is just that we would continue to stand and we would do it with 100% dependence on him and 0% dependence on ourselves by trusting in this book and the promises he's made rather than ourselves. If we're going to survive, we've got to fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we thank you that Jesus paid such a high price so that we could have all the help we need to face all the demons and the struggles we face. And I just ask that all people's church would experience a new season of victory, Lord, and life. Would people who have been struggling with problems that are from spiritual influence for years and years and years and years and years. Find freedom. And would even unbelievers, Lord, who don't yet know you, find victory in the cross by hoping in Jesus. And Lord, I ask now that as we transition to a time of worship and praise, that Jesus who defeated our enemies would be our delight. Oh God, make us feel glad and happy because you have done so much and have given us so much. We pray these things in Christ's name.